Evolving technologies such as artificial intelligence, robotics, and increased 5G capabilities are just a few advances that are reshaping multiple industries right now. And a lot of this development is happening within healthcare and life science. However, only a handful of startups or small ventures actually make it. We want to know the magic trick. How to enter an international market, sell your products and become respected among the established players. To find out, we invited the founder and CEO of Cell Inc., Eric Gottenholm, who's a shining star in the Nordics and well on his way, taking Cell Inc. global with customers in more than 50 countries. Cell Inc. is the world's first bioink company and the leading global provider of 3D bioprinters for producing human tissue and organs. Oh man, how we waited for this interview. We're so excited to have you on the show. Welcome, Eric Gottenholm. So uh, I know. I mean, you. I mean, your your name sounds about as Swedish as uh, pickled herring. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, what, what's your background? What's the story? That's that's great. Well, thank you so much for for having me. First of all, and and um, um, it's it's an interesting background. And I I was born in Sweden. Um, in 1989, and uh, my parents they they had this dream of, of essentially uh, enabling me and, and the family to take part of the American dream. I know my father is a is a huge believer of the American dream, um, and at a very early early stage and very early age, uh, we started to. Um, uh, make our transition to the U.S. So we spend most of the time during the summers, winters, and then and more and more during the year uh, in in Blacksburg, Virginia. So a small, small college town in Southwest Virginia, mm. and um, and then finally, of course, I, I I moved permanently to Blacksburg and and uh, and grew up there. Went to high school, university, uh, and, uh, and essentially built my life there. Uh, until about 2014, when I decided to uh, move to Sweden. Do you see yourself as an American entrepreneur or Swede, Swedish entrepreneur? It's a great question. I, I, of course, I see myself as, as being um, best of both worlds, uh, or worst of, wor- of both worlds. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. that's a you get both, which is which is great. Uh, but, uh, but of course, I think I see myself mostly as an American entrepreneur. Um, you know, most of the business I've run and, and and the markets and sales and things are always U.S. related. That's that's the biggest market for us. Uh, mm. So that's the market I want to cater to. When I uh, when I moved to Sweden back in 2014, uh, you know I was going to start at Gothenburg University. I was going to do a master's in, in um, innovation and industrial management. Uh, I had just I just moved back and I was living on my parents' couch down in, the, in their basement. Pretty <laughs> pretty tough life to move back to, uh, yeah. but but you know a, a great position to start from. You know you start at the bottom. The expectation is low, uh, but the potential is major, right? I mean yeah. the sky's yeah. the limit. You can only go up from the parents' couch. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so so that's that's kind of the start, right? And and 
I was I was pretty motivated to do a good job in school and and continue to build on my education. Then perhaps after that, look for a job or start a business. I mean, both both mm. venues were possible. But I was introduced to this this new material that my father had been working on for for seven eight years in 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 conjunction with a lot of other researchers at Chalmers, and. Um, he was fascinated about it, about it because it was a material that that had a potential of culturing cells, right? So human mm. cells, you could take them out from the body, and then you could put these cells into this material, and these cells would grow. Yeah. And and right at that time, I had also gained a lot of experience and knowledge in the 3D printing field, which was which was a huge hype. I mean, everybody yeah. was doing 3D printing in 2014. Uh, yeah. Everybody's still doing 3D printing, which is which is great, but. At that time, uh, bioprinting was a new industry, mm. super small, you know, mm. quite unknown. Nobody heard about it. Uh, there were only a few companies that were working in it, um, and and that was exciting because this was three D printing and not printing with you know hard materials like plastics. You were printing yeah. with soft materials and human cells, mm. and and that was super cool. You know, it was mm. an un unknown field no players in the industry and i just i kind of just saw the opportunity and said hey you know this I, I put two and two together and said you know this material that has been developed uh it could be used as a bio ink uh, or a material or a filament for these yeah. bio printers and you know and 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 at that stage or the stage that we are now in a global economy and a digital economy it's it's quite easy to find out if there are competitors or other companies doing these things but I was googling and I was searching for for results. I didn't see anyone else was working on on um, specifically doing that. Mm. So I said, let's let's start the first bio ink company. I mean, you yeah. know, I don't know how big the market is. I mean, I don't know if we're going to sell hundred cartridges. Or we're going to sell a million. Yeah. Uh, but but let's start the first bio ink company and and make it big. And just the word bio ink, you hear it. I think that that's powerful in itself. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I mean, the you know the, the the concept of the 3D printing was 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 growing quite rapidly, and and, mm. and you know the, the fact that you take a you take essentially a digital image of whatever it is, it could be a a computer component or a, or a car component or or a human ear or a, yeah. or a eye or whatever, and mm. then you convert that file into a printable file and you print it out with your 3D printer. Well, in the bioprinting world. It's essentially the same um, the same workflow, right? You start with a picture of the organ that you want to print or the tissue, uh, but then instead of using a plastic filament and material, you use uh, a soft material, and this this is called a bio ink. Then, uh, yeah. and this soft material it has to have the right properties for the cells to grow because mm. the vital component in bioprinting are the human cells. Yeah. And that's kind of the one thing that we cannot create, right, in the lab. We can't create human cells, but but we can harvest them from patients, we can harvest them from each other, and then we can grow those cells and then print those cells with the material. This is kind of very, very much straight from kind of the cutting-edge research that there is. Um, how common is it, do you think, that 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 you can actually turn those that type of research into a business like you did. I think it's more common than we than we think, or, or I think the opportunity is very common. But I think the the fact that somebody does it is is a little less common. Yeah. Um, 
You know, I grew up my entire life seeing innovations being developed around me. My my father was coming up with a lot of really cool things throughout my childhood. You know, he would he would come home with with telling stories about these cool things that he had seen or witnessed or developed. His professor friends, you know, I, I would as a child, he would bring me to a lot of conferences and I would be mm. part of that conference scene and, and meet a lot of his professor colleagues. You know, and everybody talked about these amazing ideas, these amazing mm. technologies they had they had developed. But it was really hard for me because most of those technologies, they never ended up anywhere. You know, they wouldn't get to the market. They wouldn't become no. products that, that would be sold and they, would, they wouldn't create the value for the patients um, and the end user that they were supposed to. And I think that that it, it, it struck a nerve with me because I I saw that there was so much potential in these in these technologies, uh, and and I wanted to do something about it. And mm. I thought that you know this let's let's for for one of the first times ever you know let's take a technology let's let's rapidly make a company out of it and let's build let's build something that can provide value to other researchers so so if you look in the medical field i mean a lot of these innovations from universities they do become companies Mm. but the success of those companies are highly dependent on the entrepreneur and the team behind these technologies and the products so I, I was very fortunate to, to find good people, and, and I was very mm. fortunate to have these people in my team that, that we started the company with, uh, because they had also the understanding not only of the technology, but also what's needed to make this a product and bring that to the customers. What's special in, 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 in the industry that you were in? I mean, what, what, um, what type of obstacles or what type of challenges do you face that requires that? Would you say? Yeah, yeah the, the, it's a good question because the life sciences industry—it's—it's a—it's uh, a challenging industry because conventional life sciences requires a lot of you know policies, regulations. Things have to be regulatory approved, whether it's by yeah. the FDA or the European organizations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so I think you know what we managed to do was that we managed to commercialize a product for research purposes that didn't require all of these heavy regulations. Mm. And and that was kind of a first quick win from our side. We said that these products that we offer, the ink and the printers, they are specifically designed for research use. And these yeah. are sold to universities and pharma companies that want to use these products to develop other products or to develop mm. other treatments. Yeah. And and I think that came from the from the fact that we were so interested in the sales process. And it's it's not very common in in the life sciences industry. Life science industry is typically extremely stiff. You know, it's it's a um, it's a it's a standardized system. Everybody follows the same path. You know, it's always older older gentlemen or ladies that are that are CEOs and and, and CTOs, and they're uh, been in these positions for 30, 40 years. And and you know, the pathway to the market it's it's eight years give or take mm. one year right uh, yeah. and you're gonna have you're gonna be fda approved and then you're gonna hit the market and by the time you hit the market all of a sudden sales are just gonna you know fly through the roof and everybody's gonna be buying the product and you see these awesome hockey sticks that everybody yeah. loves the reality is that the, these the, these things are, are are way more complex than that and i think what we we tried to do was that we're trying to bring the consumer type of business or that consumer type of perspective to the mm. life sciences industry and disrupt yeah. it. And of course, the, 
the future of selling or the future of the technology that we're offering, uh, it's it's to to make sure that we can enable the printing of human tissues and organs. Mm. And at that point, when when our customers and researchers are printing human organs for implantation, you know that's going to require regulatory approval. So it's so we do know that these these things are important, and it's and it's essential that we follow these regulatory pathways. But there is a market before that, and, yeah. and that market should be. Uh, catered to, because if we don't do it, someone else will. I, th I think a lot of small players are challenging the status quo, uh, you know, asking themselves the question, essentially, why do we have to do it this way? Mm. They look at they look at established technologies. They look at established products and they and they and they ask themselves, why are we doing it this way? Is there a better way of doing it? Mm. And that leads to to a lot of different innovations. And I think that's what's what's disrupting a lot of different industries today. I mean, look yeah. at the electric cars industry. Look at the um, you know the travel industry. Look at a lot of different industries are being disrupted by small players that are essentially asking themselves, why are we doing this the way the same way that we've been doing it for the last 50, 60 years? And then you said, you know, you came in with the idea that you guys love sales. So that's what you said. So then starting with that, so how did that change things, I mean, for you in, in, the, in the beginning? It is true, first of all, we love sales. I mean, we, <laughs> we love sales. And from the fact that we love the process, right? I mean, we love the fact that customers are buying our products that we have built with our own hands, right? Mm. So we're putting mm. together these products in Sweden, we're making everything locally, uh, we're sourcing components locally, and then we're putting these things together screw by screw, and then customers, they come and buy them. Mm. And we deliver to them, and then we you know, we give them the opportunity to to, to work with these products and technologies. And, and Everybody in the company are so passionate about this, just the entire process from from a screw to a finished product. But but we, we really enjoy the sales process because it's about it's about bringing on a new member to our family. And yeah. for us, it's a matter of building a community. And and all our customers in this community, they're you know they're they're essentially family members of this. And we see it as being so important to cater to them and bring them the best type of technology that they could ever ask for. Hmm. So, so, so for us, that's that's what sales is all about, and we celebrate that. And it's not very common in the life sciences industry to do that. You know, sales is typically something that it's you know it's, it's conferences, it's trade shows, and you know, you, yeah, you have salespeople, but but they're not really you know they're not prioritized in the same way as they would be for us. At selling, salespeople are heroes. I mean, they yeah. are the ones that bridge the gap between hmm. new technology developed to the customer. Yeah, but I, but I still I mean I mean looking at your kind of way of doing sales, um, as I understand that you've also done your fair share of of going to these uh, fairs and being there presenting things, presenting your product. Uh, but what what would you say has been kind of your 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 way of doing sales? How would you describe that? Good question. I, I I love I love working with my customers and I love spending time with them. So I, on average, I, I try to be at about 200, 250 days a year at least, um, or two hundred fifty customer visits uh, per year, so that I can learn what my customers are doing, understand their challenges and their problems, and how we can solve them. Mm. Uh, my way of sales is is, is um, respectful. 
uh, always respect the customer in the highest manner. Uh, always be, uh, you know, always propose the best solutions. Give a good price. Uh, ensure that the product that we're offering is is a, a great fit for their need. So don't sell stuff that they might not need. Um, but specifically, very knowledge-based and and consultation-based sales. So I always mm. bring with me my 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 colleague Hector. Uh, both of us, we go to the customer, and 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 you know I talk from the sales perspective what I can do in terms of a good deal, what I can do in yeah. terms of inviting to our community, and, and and really building the expectations. And then Hector can talk about the science and how how our products and how our technologies can solve their scientific challenges. And what about channels? Have you, I mean, you you know the traditional sales channels within your industry, but have you, as I understand that you've also gone out, outside of that. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think specifically now during this time, um, with, with these challenges that we're being faced now around the world, uh, digital sales channels are extremely important, and we were quite early on that. So, so for us, it's not that big of a switch. Um, but but a matter of being able to provide our products through Skype demos by communicating through to, with the customer through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Mm. Again, these are these are things that are quite unconventional in the life sciences industry, and and I think that's something that we take great pride in. We 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 embrace the fact that. Uh, we try to com- communicate with our customers in any possible way that we can, um, yeah. even through the crisis. Because I know that there are people out there today who are asking themselves how they can get hold of these types of products. So by the time the crisis is over, they can jump right back into the research that they've, that they've been working on. Yeah. I think also you. I think you you seem to me like a more visible CEO within the life science industry than many of your competitors. Maybe is that something that you are you know striving for, or is it a conscious choice, so to say? Well, well thank you. I, I don't know if it's a con- conscious choice. I, I I think it's a matter of of you know telling the story of the company and and trying to build on the success. For, of our customers, uh, you know, I, I I think that by highlighting uh, what we do as a company, we also highlight what our customers are doing. And if people hear about bioprinting being a novel technology and, and something that will change the world of medicine, well, then I think that gives our customers also another push. Uh, into the spotlight and give them a an opportunity to shine because in, in reality. It's it's not us as a company that's that's going to just change the world of medicine in the future. It's our customers. They are the ones yeah. who are doing the you know the the heroic work of of, of implementing new uh, new technologies, bringing new treatments to the to the clinics and things like that. So it's it's really mm. them that we celebrate. I think now is the time when I'm going to pick up our reoccurring listener question in this in this podcast. And this week it's about sales. Surprise! Uh, and Surprise. Our, uh, yeah, so I think sales uh, is of course the engine of of, of the company, so to say. Uh, but how do you learn sales? Is what this listener wants to know. Uh, and that is a question I thought I would ask you. So I mean, looking at your background and the story that we've just heard, uh, where did you? pick up sales and how did you get good at it it's a it's the million dollar question right how do you get good at sales uh, it, a lot of people used to say you know sales is something that you're born with i, I don't think that's the case i think you learn sales uh, but but i think sales comes from the fact that you you want to prove to someone that what you're 
what you um, what you're selling or what you're providing has a value, right? And and that's kind of a chase, right? So it's a little bit of a competition-based structure where you're always competing for someone's attention. You're always competing for someone's approval. Um, and, and I think that's, psychologically speaking, I think that's what it's all about for me. Um, mm. How I got good at it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a... Um, I used to be quite quite of an introvert. Um, I, I had to go out of my own shell. I had to become an extrovert. I had to push myself every day, um, and and that's I think that's a, a that's an important factor. You, you have to mm. push yourselves to go out and talk to people because if you don't know how to talk to people, then you got to learn it because that's that's how sales works. You have to be you have to be able to talk to people, provide them with your with your answer, with your solution, um, and, and then convince them, be there, yeah. show them yeah. that you're, you're supporting them. How was that journey going from being, you know, in, in an introvert, as you say, into being into that type of those, those numbers of interactions as you need to be when you do sales? Tough. I mean, that, yeah. that is tough. It, you sweat a lot. You uh, you're nervous a lot. You uh, you know you, you you change shirt before the presentation again because because I mean it's all these things and it's and it's okay. You'll you'll yeah. get over it. You'll get yeah. over it. It's it's no big deal. But but in the first couple of years, you got to be uncomfortable. You got to learn how to be uncomfortable. You got to learn mm. to always be in that in that really really uncomfortable spot until you finally uh, get over that hump, and then things get natural, and then you realize how to deal with these things. So I mean, uh, you know, if you wanna if you wanna do that, any specific tips that you could you know, how should our listener think here about getting that getting across this? Reading books. Uh, books mm. are important. Um, reading, um, you know, reading up on sales processes online, watching a lot of videos. There's a lot of things that you can learn from from online in terms of sales. Take a take a job in sales. Yeah. Take a first job in sales, or even if if you, I mean, if you take a part time job in sales, sell something through your cell phone. Become a, mm. a you know a, a phone salesperson call customers, have these conversations. And what do you learn when you do that? I mean, if you were, I mean, I'm, I know I'm kind of drilling down for something, but I think, you know, what, what, taking a job in sales, but so what do you learn? You, you learn how to, how to approach people. You learn how to speak in, in terms of offerings and, and, you know, you learn how to speak in terms of benefits instead mm. of downsides. You become positive. You're positive about the things that you're offering, and you see things from the good side, right? You're an, yeah. you're an optimist because nobody wants to no one wants to buy something from a negative Nancy. Mm. You want to buy something from someone who's positive and who has a good you know a, a, a good attitude to 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 what they're working with and what their products offer. So so I think you know after after a lot of training and and going through these. These these exercises, you you get more positive and you learn things about yourself. What I what I uh, find really um, interesting with the American culture is that this seems to come a little bit easier for Americans than than others. Would you agree to that? Or another day, another buck. I mean, mm. it's another day, another dollar is 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 the way to. Um, I mean, it's an expression. It's it's everything in the U.S. is based on sales. I think it's sales and marketing. Those are those are the things that have built the country. Um, and 
it has its benefits, it has its downsides. Uh, but I think if you can bring some of that American culture to Sweden, um, you can you can freshen up a few things. I mean, you yeah. can change a few things. And, and I think that's what we've been happy about doing. We've brought a little bit of American marketing to Sweden and, and that made a difference in Europe. But yeah. we also brought a little bit of Swedish attitude to the US. I mean, being a little bit humble, uh, bringing Swedish design or Scandinavian design, I mean, everybody loves that. Scandinavian mm. design is, is gorgeous. And if you can have laboratory instruments and products that fit into laboratories that are based on Scandinavian design, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, when I heard you talk about the design of, uh, of of your printers and how they look, I was I was kind of envisioning the next uh, or the kind of... Um, the life science version of Steve Jobs. So that that you remember, I said it first, but uh, <laughs> I think that that, that was you. <laughs> so oh, well, thank it, you. Yeah. I, I mean, they they did a really good job with with the, with the design, and I think that's a that's something we strive for. If we can be as good as Apple one day in in terms of design, we would we would be very thankful. There are, of course, a lot of like you said, books to read and and. Uh, places to learn about sales um, and different types of models and schools. Do you Have you applied anything like that in your in your company now that you've gone, taking it, I mean, from you as, a, as an individual into your, your business or selling? Have you applied some type of model to that? I think it's a combination of many models. Uh, mm. We have a, I, I read a book uh, recently um, called The Challenger Sale. It's, it's a it's a way of, of, of essentially challenging the customer in terms of providing a better solution or a value. It's hmm. a very good model. You don't have to take everything from it, but you can take certain parts from these types of, of concepts and theories and apply it to the business. There's another book, uh, that uh, it's called the um, uh, Crossing the Chasm. Uh, it's about it's about companies being very small, essentially startup companies going through the growth growth paths yeah. and as they're making their way through that growth path and that innovation curve essentially the product adoption cycle you know how you have the innovators the early early adopters early majority late majority and laggards those yeah. are essentially the stages in that product development cycle and as you're jumping from early adopters to early majority there is a gap right mm. because mm. the early majority requires a certain type of product and a certain and maturity of that product. And I think us as a company, we're, we're experiencing many of those things that are, are, are stated in that book. Mm. And it's interesting to apply also the things that we're learning by reading that book and, and, and studying those examples, because it seems like all companies, they essentially go through those same stages. It's quite, it's mm. quite fascinating. Um, and it's interesting to see when, um, you know, at what point either we cross the chasm or if we have crossed the chasm uh, and things like that. So is that the Christmas present for next year uh, for the entire company, that book? Just sliding that actually, it there. That was, that was actually <laughs> was last year. Uh, in January. They, they, everybody recommended to buy it. Yeah, so I hope cool. everybody did. But I mean, and I'm about the team. I, I think this is where I, I think this is really, I get curious. I mean, you, you, you've built a fantastic global sales team. Talking about a global sales team, how do you build, how do you build that? piece by piece i mean it it started with myself and hector we we mm. would, we were we were the the whole show right 
the yeah. entire circus. So we were we would go to customers and, and then build it, and then we would focus just on sales, and somebody else would build it, the products, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But but in terms of building a global sales team, it was a matter of finding the right individuals, and not just the best salespeople, but also the the best salespeople that know how to deal with customer care. Mm. Right, somebody who can go to a to a professor and say, "Hey, Professor Johnson or Professor Professor Wayne or whoever you are, uh, you know, thank you so much for your business. We truly appreciate it. How can we serve all of your needs and go above and beyond?" Mm. And those type of individuals, those are the right salespeople that fit very well in the, in, in this organization. So finding those those first few was was challenging, but we, but we got a nice group of those and and. Um, and with that, we could essentially start building the organization. So initially, we had someone that took care of uh, Europe, someone who took care of Asia, and someone who took care of uh, U.S. Okay. And then we grew that. So we split Europe into two, and then we split Asia into three, and then we mm-hmm. split U.S. up to five or six. <laughs> um, and, and then we built essentially an umbrella above that with, with good leaders, People mm. with with significant experience uh, who have done this journey before. I know our, our 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 global head of sales now, Torben. He's a fantastic individual who has been in sales for you know for 25, 30 years. Yeah. A very very experienced and knowledge guy, knowledge based guy. But he is he's also very agile, mm. which is something that that is important. You have to be fast. You have to be able to take very quick decisions. And do, were they like you were sitting together, or you kind of distributed across the globe, or how? Was, how I mean, how does initially it work? we were all sitting together. So, yeah. so everybody except from the U.S. Uh, sales manager was sitting in, in Gothenburg, Sweden. Uh, hmm. So we had Asia, Europe, all all in Gothenburg. And then now, recently, back in August last year, we decided to expand the market with local uh, local offices to be closer to the customers. So we open an office in Lyon. We open office in the UK. Uh, we have a sales presence out of our Freiburg office, Stuttgart, Germany, Kyoto, Japan, and now, of course, out of Boston in the US. That's our main uh, US uh, sales office. Yeah, and then you're kind of then they are growing in those locations, basically. Aston. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and and growing based on where the customer is based. So mm. so instead of you know having. Having someone in, in Sweden to cater somebody in, in in Japan, we have an office in Japan, and and yeah. that that representative will be able to cater to the customer's needs immediately. Your your growth has been extremely quick and and fantastic. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking it's not too long ago that you talked about you and Hector and this and and the team sitting in Gothenburg to what you've got now. Uh, What's how's that? How's that? How's it different to manage the the organization today? It's still, a lot of me and Hector and Gusten. We, I mean, we're, still, <laughs> we're, we're you know we're Same still guys. doing the the yeah the eighteen hour yeah. days. It's it's it, that doesn't change, and I think I don't think that will ever change. But uh, I think what has happened, of course, if we've expanded with a really good management team, uh, this management team um, has expanded with their departments. It, it, it's kind of cool to say it, but the company has departments now. We you know a, a year ago it was it, it wasn't really departments. It was kind of like you know. Oh yeah, we have, we have this awesome team that's doing these development, and we have this awesome team that's doing sales. Uh, but essentially, at that point, everybody was still doing everything. I mean, 
it's Friday. We got to, we got to clean the toilets. We got to clean, mm. you know, we're going to take out the trash. Everybody helps. Uh, but now, you know, now we have departments, which is, which is quite interesting. Uh, so now it's definitely working with different challenges. Now it's working with, you know, how do you reduce the silo effects in departments? How do you make people work together? Right. How do you yeah. make sure that engineers still want to communicate with marketing people? Mm. It's, it's, it's real challenges of real companies and, and it's quite fun. It's yeah. a lot of fun. I'm 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 sure. I mean, looking at the entire, also the entire kind of value chain in in Cellink, that's that's very true. Um, but I'm thinking also about just kind of the just staying in the sales departments. I'm thinking about. I I heard you talk about your sales culture, and I I think you built like a strong sales culture that you're that you're proud of. Um, I mean, um, and and to what what type of role does that play a sales culture? Do you think? I think this, a sales culture builds, um, I think it builds a, a method and a way for people to align themselves under the products that we offer and, and under the customers, right? So it's, mm. it's always the customers first. Everything we do for all the way from engineering to, to application support and, and marketing, et cetera, is to improve the the customer experience, yeah. which will enhance sales. Um, I mean, we celebrate sales. We celebrate every sale we get. We ring a big, you know, a big Asian gong. Uh, mm. We we uh, we celebrate everything. We're very well yeah. because because these are these are big feats that that you know that take us to the next level. Mm. Um, we also celebrate, of course, internal things that are happening at you know in the development organizations and in production and things like that. And and I think that's where you um, that's where you can bring out the best out of the teams. You know, you yeah. you you celebrate often and you celebrate the great things that people are doing. Um, but in sales in general, it's I, th I think that's where uh, that's where the hunting attitude and the and the hunting mindset comes out. You know, being able to bring home the uh, the big the, bring home the bread, right? The yeah. bread and 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 uh, <laughs> close the sales, close the deals. Yeah. Coming home dragging a mammoth, basically. That's the exactly. That's the answer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. But I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking. Of, I'm. I'm kind of seeing you as a very. You know, you are obviously a very central figure in the organization. And as a leader, how how do you see yourself as a leader now with that global sales culture, so to say? How has that influenced your work? I uh, I think it's a I think it's a good way of of. Um, I mean, looking at the organization today, of course, now when we're, you know, the sales organization for selling to is central. So, mm. so we've kept that as a centralized organization. Then we have engineering and other things, which are essentially decentralized in the daughter companies and the business, the business or application areas. Uh, but myself, as I, I, I still hope that my salespeople look up to me. I mean, I, I, I uh, maybe like the grandfather of the, the, <laughs> of the sales, yeah. Yeah. you know, but, but the, uh, uh, still, I still come with a lot of advice. I still like to to mentor, and I still like to work with the salespeople and make sure that they they have everything they need to succeed. Um, mm. You know, for me, a, a successful salesperson is a successful person in the company who will who will bring a lot of value to all of us. Uh, so, so I, I like to be part of, of of the sales processes as much as I can, and 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 give advice and help. I think many of us have seen Wolf of Wall Street. Is that some, you know, is, is that what you're like? And we go in there having that, is that? 
No, no, not not uh, not completely. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not too much. Maybe you know the uh, maybe in the future, but but I think right now it's 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 more of the uh, kind of educational grandfather, you know, like back yeah. in back in the days. But then it's always like you know it was, it was two years ago. So they're back in two years ago. We used mm. to do this, you know. Remember mm. that, and and I think it's I think it's fun. I mean, it's it, it gives these salespeople an opportunity to to kind of think back and say, okay, well, whoa, this this is why we're leaders. Now, now yeah. I remember my KPIs. Now I remember my USPs, um, and these these are things that I need to keep in mind. A lot of um, big leaders in that they practice a lot of this kind of symbolic leadership or, or using these kind of symbols or techniques to kind of you know rallying the troops basically and making people um, feel uh, you know engaged in, in 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 the sales. Is that something that you've uh, do you work like that as well or? Yeah, and, and and mainly Torben. I mean, we have we have our annual sales meetings where we bring everybody together, celebrate the success of the last year, and also mm. prepare ourselves for the next year. Right, the next year to come, the the challenges we have ahead of us. How do we want to look as a company a year from now? Next year, when we celebrate um, at the sales at the sales meeting, you know, what have we achieved? What have we accomplished as a team? Everything yeah. is a team. No, nobody succeeds alone here. And and I think we what we are doing as a company. Is that we're trying to keep as as low as a low of a hierarchical structure as possible. So the hierarchies are not important at the company, and that's that's something to keep in mind for as we keep building and organizing ourselves. You know, it's it's not a hierarchy structure that's based on seniority. It's based on performance and the doer attitude. Yeah. So if if, if you have what it takes to grow and lead in the company, then do it. We encourage you to do that. And if you're going to fail, fail fast and be proud of those failures because those failures will help us grow and help us become better. So so all of these things come into play. And I think that what we want to do is that we want to encourage people to understand these parts of our culture. You know, if you were to... uh, you know, give some, I mean, your most crucial advice, if you want to build a strong sales culture, what would that be? Celebrate, uh, celebrate often, celebrate Mm. often, any small successes, uh, you know, because it starts something, it starts a movement. You tell your colleagues or you tell your friends, Hey, you know what? Good job on that sales and sale in Japan. Good job. It was it might not be more than $10,000, it might not be $5,000, but it starts something. Good job. And giving good and early reward for 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 hard work also inspires other to take action, right? So if I see that my colleague in Japan is getting reward for 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 making a good sale and 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 they feel good about it, I want to do that too, right? I mean, yeah, I want to yeah. make I want to make my colleagues and team proud. So mm. I'm going to push myself a little bit further. And not only that, I'm going to make that sale, but I'm also going to make that customer speak openly or make a tes- testimonial about that sale and how happy they are with the product. So, you know, sure. so it's, it's about always, you know, one step up and level up, become a yeah. little bit better, make improvements, become one slight step better every single day. 
Mm. I think that's great advice. Thanks a lot for sharing so much about sales. <laughs> really, really happy to, to have you do that. We're coming towards the end of the of this podcast, unfortunately, but I was just thinking back to what you said about, uh, I want to ask this question because I th- I th- heard you talk about this big gong that you, that you slam when you do sales or slam you hit it <laughs> yeah. what, you, what, what you do with a gong is what's it called you gong it <laughs> but whatever <laughs> then but, but but speaking of ringing things i know you were just uh, you know you're on the main market now on nasdaq stockholm and then you you know you look forward to that ringing of the bell when when that happens and then then we had corona so <laughs> tell us about this what happened <laughs> Oh, what happened so with the typical. bell? <laughs> yeah, there was no bell. <laughs> so, so unfortunately, of course, well, it's, it's timing, right? I mean, so, so yeah. we, we were planning on, on listing the company and moving it from, from this first North growth market up to uh, the NASDAQ uh, mid-cap market, the main market. Um, and that was going to happen in April. But unfortunately, you know, the, the, the crisis came around and, and, and I mean, we weren't going to stop ourselves or hold ourselves from doing the listing we should still list ourselves but of course unfortunately they they didn't let us come up to to the office in, at nasdaq and, and ring the bell that will be for future but you know mm. it's it's funny because they they still took that picture on 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 uh, uh new york times square um the photo the famous nasdaq photo yeah. uh, and you can see in that picture it's completely empty it's completely wow. empty around the uh around Times Square. So that's that's definitely something for the memories, you know, we we managed to list the company during the one of the worst crises in the last last couple of years. Yeah. Uh but um so time stamp so for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Um and and thinking of the future. So, I mean, if you look a little bit ahead, what's what's next or what's around the corner for you guys? Keep growing. Uh, you know, we, we're we're going to keep growing, keep uh, acquiring businesses. That's something that we that we started with about two years ago. Um, I I really like German companies. I I, I think I've said that um, multiple times everywhere. I, I I really like German companies because German companies have a lot of um, great engineering where they bring it out from academic institutions, kind of like what we did. They bring mm. it out from academic institutions, they start companies around that, and then yeah. I can I can help them with the sales. Mm. So so um, great partnerships, but look for you know uh, companies around the world that could have complementary products to what we offer and yeah. to improve the customer uh, value and the customer proposition. Uh, with these acquisitions, but also keep growing organically. I mean, we 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 want to keep building the sales force. We want to keep uh, building our presence around the world and 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 keep spreading that that blue culture, the mm. the the blue collar around the world. As a last point in this podcast, we we ask our guests to recommend somebody that we could interview next. So, um, uh, have you? Do you would would do you know somebody that you would want us to interview next? Yeah, let's. Uh, uh, I would like you guys to interview. Uh, I don't know how this how this can be possible. I mean, he's also doing podcasts, but uh, Palerus, Alex Great. Palan. Let's uh, let's do it. I think that would be a fun interview. It would. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll do our best. <laughs> yeah. Thanks once again for for joining us in Get Savvy, and thanks for helping us to share uh, savviness among entrepreneurs and those who want to listen to us. So thanks for coming, and best of luck to you 
uh, in the future, the Steve Jobs of uh, life science, Eric. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs>